please hold. Your call will be answered when the line is available. to God Take This on WLUR Lexington. I'm Crawford Humphreys. He is Cole Heisner on today's show. Bama solidifies its spot as the top team in the SEC. Derrick Rose gets his shot at a potential ring. And we go a little bit out of our comfort zone and, and give our prediction on the World Series. But we begin today with an abysmal performance by the Cowboys on Monday Night Football. A 38-10 loss to Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. To be fair, they're playing without Dak Prescott and they had Andy Dalton. But that didn't seem to help because their defense was absolutely inept in containing both Murray and the Cardinals offense. A lot of fingers being pointed here. A lot of the players are actually saying that they're putting their blame on the coaches, saying that Mike McCarthy and his staff are absolutely inept, not able to do their job, and not many people are having faith in them or listening to them. But just all around, terrible performance. Somehow, someway, they still have a half-game lead in the NFC East, which has a collective five wins uh, so far this season. But what are your thoughts on this? I want to talk to you a little bit. Um, because of course, you know, you, it's easy to say that with this division and the way things are going, that they have their, their playoff spot wrapped up because hypothetically, I think the, the winner of this conference mathematically could be four and 12. So yeah. where do you, where do you place the blame here? Is this a coaching problem? Is this missing Dak Prescott? Where do you, where are you putting the blame? It's obviously very tough to, you know, come off losing your, your franchise quarterback in such a kind of frightening way as they did last week. Um, but really, this is not an anomaly in the Cowboys season. Like, you kind of thought they might be off to a slow start. And, um, you know, super loaded roster, obviously, new coach who's won a Super Bowl. Um, but it, it, they just might not be a good team. You know, it's not it's not really time. It's, I think it's past time um, to be, you know, talking about what's the problem to fix this season. I think they're just not good. And to your point about, you know, you can you could win that division with a 4-12 record. Um they could squeak in as the four seed in the NFC and just get trounced by whoever they're playing. Whether it's, you know, Saints or the Buccaneers could be one of those wildcard teams, whoever doesn't win that division. Um, or, you know, potentially the Bears or the Packers, again, whoever doesn't win that division. So, again, the playoffs are still there, but they are so far from being a contending football team for a Super Bowl or to even make any noise in the playoffs. It's, I don't know. I think it is past time to, you know, think about, you know, how do we fix this? And it's just, they just might not be good. Mike McCarthy might not be a good coach. Aaron Rodgers might have been right all along in yeah. Green Bay when he no, was complaining. That, that's crazy to think about that Mike McCarthy is now seen as, as not a great coach with the success he had with the Packers. I'll, I'll read the quote directly. Um, apparently the coaches are dire- totally unprepared is the quote. Another player said they just aren't good at their jobs, mm. which is uh, and some astounding criticism of a guy who has won a Super Bowl, had a lot of long-term success in Green Bay overall. Um, kind of crazy for him to come into this situation first season, um, and he's already you know lost the support in the locker room. That's kind of unheard of. Um, I agree with you that they could just be a bad team. Yeah. You, they're missing their key piece in Dak Prescott, but at the same time, um, I think Ezekiel Elliott was a you know he had a couple fumbles in that game. Yeah, I think we are hitting a point in the NFL where running backs um, should not be being should not be getting paid the amount of money that Ezekiel Elliott is being paid, and they also shouldn't be worth a first round pick. I think that's pretty safe to say. Yeah, with the absolutely. amount of guys that the teams are picking up in fifth and sixth rounds, even like third, fourth rounds, 
um, and they're paying them rookie contracts and letting them go after that. I think we've hit this weird era of disposable running backs, and mm-hmm. I think that Ezekiel Elliott is a per- pure testament to that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it really looks good on paper to have a great running back. I mean, we were excited earlier, you know, when the, the Buccaneers signed Leonard Fournette. We thought it made them, you know, quote-unquote, possibly a super team. Um, it's just, running backs, it's just really an on-paper thing. It's still, you know, if you play fantasy football, you always pick a running back in the first round. Um, so there, there's really the values in fantasy football. But in real football, there's just so many guys in the world, literally, who can be a good NFL running back that paying one a lot of money or, you know, using a first-round pick on them and locking in that rookie deal, it's just not worth it. Um, and we're seeing some of the same struggles with, you know, the Giants in that same division where, you know, they Saquon is their guy instead of getting a linebacker, or excuse me, a lineman or, you know, someone who it would be better to lock in that, that rookie rookie deal with. You know, I don't know. It's those first round, those high first round picks, especially are super valuable. And it's just running back is not the spot to use them. And I think that the Cowboys are a good example of, you know, Ezekiel, it's an incredible player, potential Hall of Famer, you know, all pro player, one of the best backs in uh, this decade, I would say. But it just doesn't matter that much for team success to have a great running back anymore. No, I agree. Well, so who do you think is going to win the NFC so the way things are going right now? Because mathematically their wins are going to go up exponentially this weekend because all the teams are playing themselves. Right. So there's, there's going to be a guaranteed two wins to add to the already five. So they will be at seven wins yeah. for the conference or sorry for the division. Um, where do you see things? I think, do you, do you rely on the Eagles here? Do you think Jalen Hurts might come in and, and give them a little late push or do you think this is the Cowboys division to lose? And that's not saying much. Yeah. I mean, I still think it's the Cowboys just because they are still so talented. Um, really, I don't think any of them are contenders. I don't think they'll be come close to winning a playoff game. I could be wrong. You never know. They could have yeah. won a good game. Um, I don't know. I mean, personally, this might sound dumb. I think the Giants are a sneaky dark horse this division mm-hmm. just because at whatever they are now, one in five, they're yeah. hanging around. Yeah. Um, I like Joe Judge. He's from New England. You know, I... I'm a little more uh, bullish on Daniel Jones, I think, than the general population. I think he's a solid quarterback. Um, I don't know. I, I, it's such a hard division to call. I think the Cowboys are still the most talented roster. Carson Wentz is the best player in the division, I think, um, even though we're down on him, um, especially now that Dak is out. Um, I think Carson Wentz is the best player, and I think he could. He had, like, you know, when they played the 49ers, he put him on their back and won that game when they were expected to lose Sunday Night Football. Um, I don't know. I think it, it should come down to the um, Cowboys and the, and the Eagles. However, I just think that the Giants could be a dark horse to sneak some games out. But uh, it's I don't even want to think about this division that much, to be honest. It's, it's God, these teams these are not good football teams. Really disappointing. Not at all. But let's give some credit on the other end of things. Kyler Murray balled out in, the, uh, in that game on yeah. Monday night. Uh, he threw for almost 200 yards. He had two touchdowns. He also had a rushing touchdown. Mm. Um, super impressive performance by him. And, and I think he's kind of living up to the hype for it, at least, you know, it, it, of course, it's an abysmal team like the Cowboys. So any performance has to be taken with a grain of salt. But for a guy who is coming off with the weight of the world on his shoulders, um, I think he's doing a pretty good job. And I think you could say the same for Joe Burrow. I think this has been yeah. a very solid class of quarterbacks. Um, I think the Cardinals have to be pleased. I think they've got their guy. Yeah, absolutely. And you got to remember, like, the Cardinals right now are sitting in, what, 4-2? and two? Yeah. Um, you know, they, they haven't been a winning football team in a while, no. you know? So, really, any this has been a great season so far. A lot of people might have expected them to be, you know, 5-1, and 6-0 and oh right now. But it's baby steps, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, Kyler Murray, Cliff Clinsbury, the coach, they'll both be there for a while. DeAndre Hopkins hopefully will be there for a while. Yeah. So, this, this year's a building block for them. I don't think they're expected to really contend for the Super Bowl. Um, could maybe 
sneak in one of those last playoff spots, which would be really exciting for them. But from what I've seen so far, you know, uh, beating the Cowboys is still a big win. It's still the Cowboys, I guess, even though, you know, they're having a down year, obviously. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think this is, this season's going as well as, you know, the Cardinals, the Cardinals fans should be excited about this season. It's a great sign for the future and they could even, you know, make a little noise in the playoffs this year. You never know. Yeah. So yeah. Well, let's move into America's game of the week, which was the Packers and the Buccaneers. Buccaneers pulled out the win there, 38-10. to Tom Brady had himself a day, 166 yards, two touchdowns. Kind he, of a day. He threw, he threw his first touchdown to uh, Rob Gronkowski, their yeah. 91st touchdown together, first one in Tampa Bay. Aaron Rodgers, on the other hand, had a terrible performance. He threw two back-to-back interceptions at one point early in the game. Um, one of them was a pick six, and the other brought the Buccaneers back to the Green Bay, I think, two-yard line, and they ended up scoring off of that on a, on a little run. Um, but Rodgers struggling against a ver- against a team that didn't come in as an overwhelming favorite. I think it's pretty safe to say. They were pretty fa- fairly evenly matched, but it did not result like that. It did not seem like that kind of game. Yeah. Uh, Buccaneers played well, and also, especially their defense. I mean, they were Absolutely. clicking on all cylinders for sure. Yeah, really kind of a, this really illustrates why Tom Brady chose the Buccaneers, I think, because, you know, he does he doesn't have to do everything. I mean, 166 yards passing, two touchdowns is a quiet game. Yeah. That's, he just kind of managed the game, didn't make mistakes, which is huge. He's been throwing some interceptions lately, which is, you know, uncharacteristic, but, you know, a pick is a pick, no matter if you're Tom Brady or, you know, whoever, uh, Andy Dalton, yeah. not good. So, um, but the defense has just been huge. I mean, like, what they were doing to Rodgers was crazy. Like, the Dominican Sue, like, talking smack, sacking him. He had that one huge hit on him when he rolled it. Rodgers rolled out, and there was just no one to throw to. Sue plastered him. Yeah. Um, and he had a QBR of, of 17.8. Yeah. No touchdowns, two interceptions. I think it was, like, his third worst QBR in his career. Also only his, his third pick six he's ever thrown in his career. Rodgers, that is. Yeah. So, this defense, I mean, if Brady can come in and be kind of an old man quarterback, he's obviously, you know, at a completely different level at this age than anyone's ever been. Um, but if he can play like this, just solid, no mistakes, um, make completions, you know, nothing crazy. And the defense is the best in the league, which I think it is right now. Analytically, it's the best in the league. Um, they're looking like a real contender, especially, you know, after week one against the Saints, a lot of people thought, oh, you know, they're not going to be good. Brady's just like Jameis. Like, I, I think they're they're legit. This is a big win for Tampa Bay. Another team who, just like the Cardinals, are um, they haven't been winning. I think they had the lowest win percentage of any pro sports franchise in any sport yeah. uh, on their whole lifetime. So you know, a little different for their fans. You know, wanting to win now. And I think, but I think it's surreal that they are going to win now. This isn't a building year for Tampa Bay. They're here now and they can beat the best teams in this league. So I, I think it's a huge win for them. Yeah, I want to dive into the stats a little bit um, for Tampa Bay's defense. Like you said, they have five, they had five sacks, eight tackles for loss. They had 13 hits on Aaron Rodgers in that game. Wow. It's insane. Not yeah. all of them, of course, went down in sacks, but still, they they, they were laying it on him. Yeah. Uh, with the Green Bay offensive line that is notorious for, for giving Rodgers a lot of time in the pocket. And then looking at the NFC South standings, Tampa Bay is on top um, with a 4-2 and two record. New Orleans is right behind them with 3-2. and two. But you're looking at a division that is, is notoriously pretty competitive. You know, you also have the Panthers in there and the Falcons. Falcons, of course, having an awful year, but they got their first win. So maybe they, they're riding the ship now that um, their coach is out the door and they're finally yeah. turning things around. Um, I think Deion Sanders, actually, the little side note on Atlanta, he put it well. You know, when the coach is out, everyone just has a new sort of motivation because you, you're going to have a new coach come in 
and he's going to see things totally different. So guys are basically playing for their jobs because you don't know if the mm. coach is going to be a coach GM type guy that's going to want to move guys around and yeah. create his own system. So everyone is playing to prove themselves at that point. Um, so hopefully that, that fire continues for Atlanta. But Tampa Bay is looking like a strong contender um, in the NFC for sure. And, man, it's going to be interesting to see how that division plays out. Seriously, yeah, because like you mentioned, I mean, the Panthers are hanging around. What are they, 3-3, three and three, I think? Yeah, 3-3. Three three. Yeah, without Christian McCaffrey. I mean, that's uh, that's they could sneak in. I mean, you know, it, there's teams like the Buccaneers and the Saints, you expect it to be maybe a shootout between them, especially as the season's kind of played out. It seemed like it was going to come down to those two, but the Panthers have been hanging in without their best player. Um, so you never know. I mean, I think uh, it just means that Tampa Bay needs to, needs to stay sharp. Um, it's not like, you know, when Tom was in New England and he could just walk into the playoffs every year. Um, in that division, and the Saints especially need to be sharp the rest of this year because they've not gone off to a good start and have really underperformed expectations. Yeah, the the NFC playoffs could be much CTV if you think about it, excluding the uh, the NFC East. You got yeah. the Chicago Bears leading the NFC North, you got the Buccaneers leading the NFC South, and you have the Seahawks in the NFC West. This could be some insane must see television. Not to mention, of course, the Cardinals, the Packers, who are also in this division. Um, it's going to be really interesting to watch for sure. And the Saints as well. Saints can do, are always capable of making a run. Absolutely. You, you could have some teams on the outside looking in. I mean, well, uh, what's the new playoff structure? I forget. I forget. Is this the first year they do the new playoff structure? You know what I'm talking about? Where only the one seed gets a bye? I and, want to say so. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll look into that and we'll get back to you on that. But there is a new structure, so it might not be the same whether it's just two wild card mm-hmm. teams. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of good football besides the NFC East. It's really been a strong, strong conference and just a very weak division. For sure. All right, well, we'll move over to the AFC for a little bit and talk about the Dolphins beating the Jets 24 to nothing. Of course, that win is not the storyline because it's what it's expected. We'll talk about Adam Gase a little later in the show. But what's most interesting about that game is that Tua Tagovailoa is the new starter. For that team, despite Fitzmagic having an incredible season thus far, yeah, I think Tua threw only two passes in that game for nine yards. Fitzpatrick threw for three touchdowns and 191 yards, and he's being benched. I don't know if this was the plan all along. It certainly seems like that to start with Fitzpatrick, have him mentor Tua, and then slowly fade phase Tua in yeah. later on in the season. Um, but it just seems like a crazy move, especially from a locker room standpoint. You've got your leader who's playing well and you're going to throw him aside for the guy that you, you know, use your, your high draft pick on. It does, just doesn't seem right. You know, I feel like just cause he was a high draft pick. It's, it's, he's not automatically deserving of the job. He's got to earn it unless this was of course their long-term plan. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely agree um, that it, it's very strange. I mean, they're overachieving at three and three right now for sure. Um, a lot of props to Brian Flores. I think, you know, another new England guy who has been a good coach there has done a lot with teams who people assumed were tanking. Um, but it, Tua, I mean, we don't, it, he must just be tearing it up in practice. That must be what it is. And, um, I'm sure the plan was if they weren't doing well to kind of have him ride the bench and let Fitzpatrick kind of take all the hits that, you know, whatever, as they go four and 12 or whatever they might've expected, but now they're three and three. And I think only one game back of the bills in that division and ahead of the Patriots this week, they might be thinking we can get in the playoffs. We yeah. can, you know, we might be able to win this division this year ahead of schedule. So we got to play our best player. And I think that Tua, you know, if he's healthy, I think he is better than Fitzpatrick. I definitely think that it must come to practice. I mean, this, this, it could have been the plan, but just based on how Fitzpatrick has been playing, how the team's been doing, Tua must be tearing it up in practice. And uh, like any Bill Belichick, you know, 
disciple and most coaches in the league will tell you, you know, you, you win your job in practice. Tom Brady's famous for saying he practiced every day like he wanted to prove that he was a starter, even up through last season. Um, so, yeah, I mean, props to Tua for I, he must have been just working his tail off. And I think that this team really sees a window into the playoffs this year. Again, way ahead of schedule. No one expected that. So I think they're going for it, and it's going to be exciting to watch. I'm excited to see Tua play a full game in the NFL. Joe Flacco with a rough day. Zero touchdowns, one interception. He only threw for 186 yards. Frank Gore is the number one rusher right now <laughs> from New York. Is Joe Flacco elite after that performance? No. Is he still elite? No? No. Okay. No. I, different question here, because this is something that's all over SportsCenter. It was the top play on SportsCenter actually this morning. Do you see the butt interception that uh, the Jets had where the guy literally pinned it on his butt and that's how they got the interception? No, I didn't see that. Okay, well, in your opinion, and we can go and watch the film later, does that avenge the butt fumble? Picking off its magic by pinning... It was it was incredible. It was acrobatic. It was actually really cool. Okay. But does that avenge the butt fumble? Um, I don't think that will ever be avenged. I okay. think that will forever be the legacy of the Jets from like 2008 to like 2028. Yeah. I think that encompasses a 20-year period of the Jets. And it will um, never die. Yeah. I mean, yeah. unless they get like Trevor Lawrence next year. And I I don't know if they would with Sam Darnold, but yeah, yeah, uh, the butt fumble is will always be the butt fumble. You can never avenge it. I, I saw this on Twitter today. It's kind of crazy to think that, that the golden era of the Jets in recent history was the Rex Ryan, Mark, Mark Sanchez, Sanchez era. Yeah. That will, uh, unless something completely changes or, you know, Trevor Lawrence brings in a new dynasty to MetLife Field. For what it's worth, it looks like Rex Ryan and Mark Sanchez will go down as the greatest team of like from like 2000s to 2020, basically. Yeah, I mean, probably the best going back to like Joe Namath, honestly. Yeah, I mean, that's not <laughs> a good phrase. Yeah, crazy to think about it. It is because even when they were there, I mean, they, they were good. They had a great defense. Darrell Rios, yeah. Antonio Camardi, like mm-hmm. they were loaded on D, and Rex Ryan was a good coach, but. I never really felt like they were a real contender, even though they made yeah, the AFC title just, game. But just a couple of good years is better than anything else. Seriously. It's like 20-year period. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, I know. It's gotten worse from, from Mark Sanchez, which is crazy. <laughs> but true, unfortunately, for yeah. them. Well, let's move into college football. We'll start with Bama uh, beating Georgia. And beating is, is an understatement. 41-24 to 24 is the final score. And I think it's safe to say that Bama is the best team in the SEC. This game was looking competitive early on. It was tied after the first quarter. Um, Georgia actually had the lead at halftime, and then Bama came back and scored 21 unanswered in the second half. Mac Jones, Mr. Consistent, threw for 417 yards and four touchdowns. Najee Harris rushed for 152 yards and one touchdown. Alabama just all around thumping Georgia. Do you think this team is it deserves to be ranked higher than Clemson? That's a good question. Um, right now, no. Just because I think Trevor Lawrence is the key for Clemson, Uh Um, a guy who's won a national title, almost won another one last year. Um, And Alabama still, I mean, they're cycling in new guys still, but it's just a testament to how good that program is. You know, it's insane. It's and and Saban beating COVID and Georgia the same day. How about that? That's true. Yeah, Alabama two and zero last week. (laughs) I personally wanted them to just amp up the theatrics and not let anyone know that Saban had passed his third COVID test until he was walking out of the tunnel. That would be crazy, and have that be the big reveal. That would be crazy. insane. Yeah, they're, I'm sure the people, yeah, their almost full stadium would have really appreciated would have that. erupted. Down in Tuscaloosa, yeah. yeah. But it, it really feels like this is another season that's going to come down to Clemson, Alabama. Um, sure. You know, last year was kind of an anomaly with LSU, um, which, as I've said before, I think they're the best college football team ever last season, LSU. Mm-hmm. Um, but this year, I mean, other teams have just not looked, looked not looked as strong. Obviously, Georgia was looked like they might be good. Oklahoma has fallen off. Um North Carolina lost. Um, 
it's just the top teams are not at the level of uh, Clemson or Bama. Um, and even in this really tough, you know, SEC only schedule, Bama has risen to the top. They're not, they're not really in the fray with these other teams. I mean, they could still lose. You never know. The Iron Bowl is always tough. Um, but I, I think they've separated themselves from the pack. Yeah. I was going to say, I think just strength of schedule alone is a reason why you could argue that Alabama deserves that number one spot. Yeah. Cause you look at the teams that Clemson's playing, you know, even though I'm a UVA fan, they're playing UVA, who has lost to Wake Forest and, and NC State. They're playing Georgia Tech. Yeah. You know, the teams they're playing in the ACC really aren't that special. I'd say the biggest team they're going to face is probably going to be Notre Dame and, and uh, UNC. Yeah. But outside of that, Alabama's having those kinds of contests on a weekly basis, playing Texas A&M, playing Georgia, playing Auburn. You know, it's games like that that are going to prove who's a good team and who isn't. And I think the Clemson lacks those kinds of, of rubber match games in the ACC. Yeah. Um, I think they're playing Syracuse this weekend. Syracuse has beat Clemson before, but Clemson is favored by over 40 points in this game. Mm. You know, that yeah. you aren't going to see that in the SEC unless, of course, you know, Bama's playing like Mizzou or someone that's completely out of the mix. But for the most part, those are going to be pretty, pretty close games and pretty, pretty contentious matches. Um, I don't think you see that in the ACC where it's Clemson. It's the I'd like to equate the ACC to the Wild West where Clemson is the sheriff. And everyone else is just running around. Yeah, it's just like a you know, just yeah. like a gunfight. Just everything else. Everyone's just fighting. It's one big skirmish, and then you have Clemson, who's always going to be you know yeah. the man in charge. Yeah, I mean, I I, I agree. Strength of schedule, strength of schedule is important, but I also think that like the committees looked at Clemson in the previous two years, where like they also didn't play anybody, came to the college football playoff, and beat teams who had these tough schedules. Um, and, you know, they're returning, you know, Trevor Lawrence, who's one of the best college football players we've seen in a while, um, as well as Travis Etienne. I mean, I don't know. I would say credit to Dabo Sweeney for being able to play these kind of cupcake games all season, year after year, and still be ready to play the best teams in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would argue that's what the committee's looking at. But I would say in maybe a more normal situation, this would be a clear, if Clemson was not returning, like next year, for example, an undefeated Clemson should not be ranked number one over Bama, who's playing SEC schools. I agree. Just because they have their guys back. I think yeah. you have to give them that this year. Well, let's move into a game that, that you touched on there when talking about the ACC, and this really emphasizes the, the Wild West aspect of the conference. <laughs> Florida State upsetting North Carolina. 28-31 to 31 was the final score. North Carolina had two crucial drops on their last possession. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. Um, just boneheaded plays by a Division One receiver and a team that has been praised for their air raid offense. Um, Sam Howell really put them in a good position, though, despite the, the offensive lapses late in the game. Uh, 374 yards, three touchdowns. Um, so he is keeping himself in possibly the race for Heisman, if not you know second-best QB in the ACC behind, uh, behind Trevor Lawrence. But, man, that's a big win. And that completely shifts the rankings. I think that North Carolina now gets bumped into the mid-teens. I think they're like 15 now after being top five for the first time and. and decades yeah. for, for North Carolina and Mac Brown's doing a good job there. Um, but what an upset. I think that's, you know, one of the first real big upsets we've seen this season. We've seen some where it's, you know, a high ranked team and a low ranked team or someone that's unranked and a team that's, you know, in that 20 to 25 range. But I don't think we've ever seen an unranked team beat a top five team this season, which is crazy, you know, it's a season full of upsets and we're just now seeing this, but I think the ACC is anyone's game the way it's looking right now. Absolutely, yeah. Such a brutal game for North Carolina. I think if they'd come back, it would have been their biggest comeback in school history. Obviously, they had huge drops at the end trying to come back. I mean, especially that fourth down play. Yeah. And the quarterback avoids the rush and the running running back's being covered. The quarterback breaks out of the pocket. The running back's man comes down to attack the quarterback. 
No one around the running back quarterback dumps it off and it just slips through his hands. I mean, brutal. Um, but it, yeah, I really think that you said it best that the ACC, it's Clemson and everyone else. I was, yeah, I was about to say disclaimer. When I say everyone's game, I mean, there's Clemson, but the second place and third place teams, that's completely up for grabs. Yeah. And it'll still be interesting to see how they fare against Clemson later this year. I think UNC that is, mm-hmm. um, just, you know, really to test them as a program, you know, see how much this was maybe a hot start to the year or if Mac Brown really has his team, you know, a top 10 team in the country. Um, which would be huge going forward for them. But, yeah, really tough loss to a really exciting season uh, in Chapel Hill. But they still have a chance. I mean, you know, again, it's a cupcake schedule mostly for them as well. Um, And they could be a one-loss team facing Clemson later this year, and that'll be an interesting game. I mean, Clemson probably only be favored by, you know, 14 or 17 points. So (laughs) I think it's a big win for Florida State just for a a football program that is really – lost all of its morale in the post-Jimbo Fisher, post-Jameis Winston era. Yeah, um, They struggled under Willie Taggart. I don't think he was the man for that job ever. Um, but they struggled there. Lack of discipline, lack of a clear game plan, and just struggled in general in the ACC and lost their title as kind of that, that top uh, heavyweight school up there with Clemson. But a big win for them, and that puts them at, at two and three um, on the year thus far, one and three in the ACC, so still still room to grow for sure. Um, but I think it definitely reinforces the point that the ACC is is all over the place. I, you know, I'm partially UVA, but talking about UVA, they won the Coastal Division last year. All of a sudden, they're losing to NC State and Wake Forest, getting blown out by Wake Forest, and the team that's returning most of its starters lost their quarterback, but have you know a similar type quarterback with a mobile guy, um, and and they're getting beat by teams that they would have whooped up on last year. You know, it's yeah. just the, the ACC is just so weird when you go down to the, the lower tier schools that aren't Clemson. You know, it's so weird, such a weird dynamic, and it just leaves it wide open. Yeah, you know, especially if, if North Carolina, you know, gets off the rails after this loss, it's the coastal is completely up for grabs at that point. And you got Virginia Tech too, who's consistently ranked, and they're having troubles of their own. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all over the place. It's such an interesting conference to watch for sure. Yeah, and very strange thinking of Florida as the upset school against North Carolina. Exactly. I'm sure if you told FSU fans that, you know, during the Jameis era, then 2020, they'd be, yeah. you know, celebrating a win over North Carolina. It's it, crazy. It'd be scary to them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, statement win for them, as weird as that sounds to say, against North Carolina and football. Uh, but statement win for Florida State. Yeah. Uh, South Carolina beat Auburn. That's another upset, and that's going to be our final college football game we talk about. Auburn is the 15th ranked team in the nation. Um, and I guess that spot is gone now because that puts them at three losses on the year already for an SEC team that was expected to be cream of the crop up there with Florida and Bama and Georgia. Uh, they lose 30-22. to 22. Bo Nix threw for 270 yards um, and one touchdown. I think he had a pair of interceptions as well. Yeah, three interceptions. That mm. TD to interception ratio was 1-3 to three for a 58 QBR. Um, on the other hand, South Carolina, Colin Hill had one touchdown, one interception. Um, South Carolina, I think, played this game perfectly um, on all sides. They had to in order to compete with Auburn. Um, but they outscored them in the third quarter 13-3 to and outscored them in the second quarter 14-7. to I mean, just getting stomping on Auburn. Um, and it, it's just crazy to think about. This is another game where if you had told Auburn fan this after, you know, the, those glory days with the kick six and, and them um, having a, a championship run against Florida State and now they're – getting beat by South Carolina, who's a uh, two-and-two team. Kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, absolutely. And I, uh, Auburn's a frustrating team, I think, because Bo Nix, Bo Nix is so talented and they have such a talented roster. But 
Bo Nix, I mean, he's exciting. I think he's a true sophomore this year. Started mm-hmm. last year as a true freshman. Um, compelling story, but just you know, incredible athlete. I mean, you see him move, throw the ball, he looks great. But just the mistakes and the interceptions and the inaccurate passes are really tough. Um, I don't know. I mean, he's probably going to be the starter for at least another year. I don't know if he's really on NFL radars already. Probably not after this. Yeah. I guarantee it. Yeah, really. A lot like, a lot like Miles Brandon, the LSU guy. Just yeah. a lot of hype and not a lot of results on the other side of things. Yeah. So, I mean, this is going to be a, for the next two and a half years, this is going to be their situation is Bo Nix and his, you know, questionable decision making. Um, so, I mean, they're still super talented where, like, again, I think it could be an interesting game. Them and Bam on the Iron Bowl, it's always interesting. But I still think that they're talented enough to maybe make that compelling. Um, but, yeah, just just a frustrating a frustrating team in that they're, you know, so talented. And yet they're just mistakes that and they're losing the teams that they should beat if they really want to be a top contender. Yeah, definitely frustrating performance for sure. And especially from a guy like Bo Nix, who is hovered around the Heisman conversation, but is kind of known as one of the top guys in the uh, – in the SEC, terrible performance on his part um, with one touchdown and three interceptions. But now it's time for Cole and I to venture into some <laughs> uncharted territory. Neither of us are baseball guys by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but alas, the World Series has come. And we held off on talking about baseball until this moment. So mm-hmm. here is you know, our kind of our one shining moment here. Um, but let's give our World Series predictions. The World Series starts tonight. Tampa Bay Rays, Los Angeles Dodgers. It starts at 8, 11 p.m. I don't know what baseball's deal is with, with those weird start weird. times. I don't yeah. know if that's what their deal is there. Um, but very competitive. It's going to be interesting for sure. Um, the uh, the Rays for sure are kind of the Dragon Slayers after taking down the Astros, which are America's least favorite team. America <laughs> wins when the Astros lose. Yeah. I'm sure everyone is happy that they aren't in the World Series after receiving a slap on the wrist for a major cheating scandal. The Dodgers, on the other hand, have unfinished business they've been here before they haven't been able to convert Clayton Kershaw is pitching tonight he has historically not been the best guy in the playoffs um but of course one of those performances came against the Astros who were cheating against him that's true so a big revenge game for the Dodgers which is why I kind of like them but the Rays have beaten the Yankees despite paying them a hundred million dollars despite paying their players a hundred million dollars less in total than the Yankees pay their guys um and of course being the Astros to get here um so what are your thoughts on this I think, like you said, I think that this is the Dodgers series to lose. It still means two one seeds in either, mm-hmm. um, you know, either league. Um, but just the Dodgers have really, I think, gone in to win. I mean, they, they've had one of the highest priced um, rosters in the league the past, you know, four or five years. Um, huge market. Um, but this year trading for Mookie Betts, who is really the best non-Mike Trout player in baseball. Um, and I'm a, I'm a Red Sox fan, so that that's still a little bit of a sore spot that we traded him. And then the Dodgers signed him to a kind of not that expensive deal, whatever. Um, I just think that the Dodgers are so loaded, and the fact that they've been there before. And Mookie, of course, has won a World Series before with the Red Sox. Um, I think it's their year. Um, much it pains me to say. And the Rays, you know, super compelling team. You know, they they pay their entire uh, entire roster like the same amount that Dodgers pay like Mookie, Kershaw, and like maybe one other guy combined, which is crazy. Um, the Dodgers are just so loaded, in my opinion, that I think it, and I think that they are really now is their time to win. Um, I think it'll be a long series. I think it, it could go, you know, six or seven. I don't think the Rays are some pushover that just kind of like um, has had a lucky run. They're about to get blown out by the powerhouse, as you said. They beat the Yankees, who are you know almost as highly priced as the Dodgers, if not more, and you beat the Astros, who you know were kind of on a revenge tour, you know, kind of evil empire in baseball and in sports. 
and in America, just in general, um, this season as well. I know, you know, Jose Altuve was like, we'll be back in the World Series. You'll see. It wasn't about the cheating. So it was great. You know, the, the Rays are legit, but I just think that the Dodgers are one of the most loaded teams we've seen in baseball in a while. Um, and I really think it's theirs. It's their year to win this. What do you, yeah. what do you think? Well, I think just from a pure storyline standpoint, I think the Dodgers are going to have the advantage here. They've gotten to this point so many times just for their hopes to be dashed. One of those times was against the Astros. He obviously cheated against them. I feel like this is such a big redemption moment, and especially with Clayton Kershaw pitching tonight, this is huge for him yeah. because his legacy as a pitcher has always been a guy that is great in the regular season and just can't show up when the Dodgers need him in the playoffs. This is a chance for him to right the ship. He could potentially get two starts this World Series if the series goes on long enough, if it goes all the way to seven games or six games. So I think that motivation alone is going to drive the Dodgers here. Um, but like you said, I think just in terms of manpower, they are such, have such a stacked roster. They're such an impressive team to watch, um, and I'm, I'm very interested to see how they perform. Um, and, and we can't can't talk about the World Series without talking about another Atlanta sports team choking too. The Braves blowing that three to one lead. Yeah, it's just devastating. Losing UGA, losing Braves, <laughs> losing that lead. Falcons are the only redeeming quality, but they are still one and five or whatever now. Yeah, I mean, Atlanta, man, it used to be the place to be, and now it's not. <laughs> yeah, that, well, it, tables turn fast. That's tough, and that, that's a good point about the Dodgers already coming back from a tough series. I mean, yeah. they've they've made themselves out to be somewhat of underdogs in these playoffs, which is dangerous for a team that is not an underdog by mm-hmm. any means. You know, have that chip on their shoulder, feeling like we're proving ourselves. Exactly. Um, and they, they've already had that experience going into this series. So if they do fall behind, they have the confidence of saying, well, we've been here before and we already did it. Why not do it again? Yeah. You know, it's that yeah. kind of mentality that I think is going to help them. I've, um, got a, I've got a question for you. Yeah. Um, are you going to watch the games? I'll, I'll probably watch tonight. I, don't, okay. I, feel like there's, I feel like there's really nothing else on to watch now that yeah, NBA is done. Um, you know, I have to wait until college football, no NFL. Uh, we aren't getting lucky this week with the COVID games being played on Tuesday night. So, yeah, yeah. you know, we, it, there's nothing else to watch, you know, might as well. It was, it was a weird stretch there for like the last like two, three weeks where it was like yeah. sports every single night. And now it's kind of yeah. calmed down. It's yeah. sad to lose the NBA. I do think their ratings though could potentially be pretty high. Yeah. If you think about it, pretty high stakes. This is a, a sport that is also allowing spectators. It's not a bubble. So maybe it feels more like a real season than the NBA would have. Yeah. Um, um, and of course, you know, the fact that we're, we have to wait till the weekend, Friday and Saturday for college football and Sunday as well, leaves a huge gap that I think the MLB could dominate. Um, yeah, of course, I'm sure they'll get the games on the weekends are not going to be that, that, that yeah. great in terms of viewership, but those, they got to hammer those weekday games because those are going to be big time entertainment. Yeah. There's huge appetite for any sort of sports right now. I mean, you know, that, again, when there was games every night, that was like every night, you know, weird having these these off nights. But yeah, so I think a lot of people are going to be tuning into the World Series just because people have gotten used to over the last month, like every sport is playing. And no matter what you like, you, there's something to watch every night. So I, I'm probably going to watch some of these games. Yeah. I mean, it, it's of exciting. Course, when I say watch, it's a very loose loose term for watch. I mean, yeah. probably have it on in the background while I do homework and check exactly. in on it every now and then. I don't know if I'm going to be able to sit down there and just focus on it for for nine innings. But yeah, it's like it's like how I have a poster on my wall. I'm not looking at the poster the whole time it's up there, but it it's out there. It's there, you know. Yeah, I might see it out of the corner of my eye. Exactly. So yeah, well, <laughs> nine innings of baseball is tough to watch it's, on TV. It's tough, especially yeah. in the MLB. So so I got Dodgers in six. What's your prediction? 
Uh, I'm gonna say Dodgers and seven. Dodgers and seven. I, I hope, think the Rays are legit. I feel like I feel like we got a good chance here with this prediction. Knock I know. On, knock on wood, because we've been ice cold so far. Yeah. Coach Rody gave us our prediction for lacrosse. We're gonna hammer that. Yep. Putting the mortgage on Duke to win it all. <laughs> um, but man, I hope we can ride the ship here. This could be big. I know. This yeah. could be big. Yeah. Make our money on Clayton Kershaw. Add and our add our credibility just a little bit. We need yeah. that little spritz of credibility when it comes to predictions. Yeah. Oh boy. We'll, we'll see. Let's move into the NBA. Even though it's over, there are plenty of storylines. We are getting close to free agency and some big moves coming. But we'll start with the Los Angeles Lakers, who are having a slew of guys opting out, very similar to the 08 Celtics, where it feels kind of like a one-year thing, and and a lot of guys are going to move on after getting their ring. So far, it looks like JaVale McGee might be getting other offers. Dwight Howard, Rondo is opting out. KCP is opting out. And this is, of course, before any trades are made. You could totally see Danny Green or Kyle Kuzma being a part of a package. Yeah. Um, but the big rumor surrounding the Lakers right now is Derrick Rose being um, a potential target for them. More likely than it was last offseason. It seemed like last offseason the chances were pretty high that he would end up in L.A. I personally love this move. LeBron, <laughs> If LeBron gets Derrick Rose a ring, that would be incredible. You know, Derrick Rose is probably one of the most deserving guys in the league, if not the single most deserving guy in the league of a ring. I feel like he's one of the most universally liked guys. You can't hate him. His story, everything that's happened to him, you have to cheer for him. He's the ultimate story of redemption. He's a guy that deserves a second chance for sure. You can tell I love D. Rose. I, I would <laughs> fight, for, fight for this guy till the end. It, his story is just heartbreaking. You know, so many injuries being surprisingly traded by his hometown team that he gave his all to. I think he deserves a ring, and I hope he, he he makes this move. And plus, with Rondo opting out, that leaves a very significant hole open at the point guard position for the Lakers. So it's not like he would be a Jared Dudley guy or J.R. Smith guy who doesn't play at all and gets the ring. I think he could make a very valuable contribution to this team. Absolutely. I think this would, him getting coming to the Lakers and being, even if they don't win the title, but you know going deep in the playoffs, obviously it's going to be, as we've touched on, it's going to be a completely different league next year. Um, so it's not going to be the same kind of cakewalk for the Lakers in the playoffs. Um, but I really think it would go a long way, him being kind of that third semi-star to LeBron and AD, to uh, kind of releasing him from the burden of being the only MVP winner in NBA history to not make the Hall of Fame, which that's been kind of the fear after his injuries was that, you know, he's, he's going to be this guy who was like kind of a one-hit wonder, um, incredible player, then injuries just derailed him. He's worked his tail off to come back from that and be a, you know, contributor, like, you know, borderline all-star Um on losing teams. So for him to come in and be a, you know, a focal point on a, a winning team like the Lakers play with LeBron and AD still in their primes. I don't even know if you can call this LeBron's prime. I don't know if he has a prime. It's just LeBron. Um, it would be huge for him. And I think it could, if he wins a title with them, I think it would get him in the hall of fame, which would be huge for him. Um, just avoiding that, that, you know, kind of curse of only MB, only MVP to not make the hall. And it's kind of a nice move considering there are also rumors about Chris Paul going to the Lakers. I'm yeah. a huge fan of fairness and competitiveness when it comes to the NBA. It's why I hated the the uh, Warriors. It's why I'm kind of lukewarm on the Lakers. But, of course, they have to deal with Paul George and Kawhi and Jamal Murray. There are plenty of other you know big duos in the Western Conference, which makes them acceptable. Um, but having Chris Paul added to that Lakers team would just be unfair, for being completely honest. As much as I'd love to see the Banana Boat crew get together and add, <laughs> add Carmelo Anthony yeah. onto that team, too. Get D-Wade out of retirement. Exactly. Too, yeah. Like As much as I'd love to see that, it just wouldn't be fair. You know, you might as well give the championship to the Lakers again. Yeah. So, 
I'd say I'm I'm more supportive of Derrick Rose going here and Chris Paul potentially going to the Eastern Conference or just staying in OKC. Yeah, I think it's a much better for both viewership and just the general competitiveness of the league. I think it's very important. Yeah, I would also say if D Rose goes to LA, I think it might be just a one year deal. Yeah, um, because we're looking into this, we love to be up on the contract situations around the league and see how that informs you know how competitive teams are certain years. So the Lakers, it's kind of a given they're going to re-sign AD, of course. Um, if they do that, after, not this year, obviously, but next season, 2021 summer, they could potentially have another max contract spot. The ways they could do this, they could renounce their rights to Kyle Kuzma. Normally, he would be a restricted free agent. They could just say, we're done with you, which they might do if they can't get a trade for him this season. He's always been kind of trade bait. Um, they could get a max guy to take a discount, or they could get LeBron to take a discount to come back and have, you know, AD and the other star potentially be on their max contracts. So, I mean, LeBron took a discount before to, you know, come to Miami and team up with, you know, two other superstars. The the Lakers could be in the market for, I mean, I don't even want to say it, dare I say it, but Giannis, I, I know, I'm sorry. I hate to even bring this up, but I mean, it's not working out in Milwaukee after this season. Lakers can make moves to, you know, have room for that that third guy. And I, I, I don't know. That would be terrifying. A lot of people thought it was going to be Kawhi last summer, which would have been really scary. But you even think Giannis would be even scary. I mean, just a, a Giannis and AD team without LeBron would be incredible. And adding LeBron, I think that's one of the best teams of all time. And so. you also got to consider the moves they can make this offseason with Danny Green and Kyle Kuzma. Because yeah. those are two guys that, that really underperformed in the playoffs. Danny Green especially. You're going to want to get him out while their value is still semi-high, while mm-hmm. Danny Green can still ride his reputation from being a, a 2019 NBA champion. Yeah, I would be interested to see what they do there, and if they try and you know add a backup for Davis, if they try and add more of a perimeter presence, what they do with that. There are plenty of free agents on the market, but a trade would make things really interesting. And I think if you add a few, dra- few draft picks in there, it might be compelling for for a few teams, especially guys lower on the ladder. That'll take anything. And when I'm talking, when I'm when I say that, I mean the Washington Wizards, <laughs> because the trade I have in mind is Bradley Beal going to the Lakers, because Ooh. the Wizards will take anything they want, um, anything that seems like a decently okay deal. The Wizards will hop on it. Honestly, I'm sure the Wizards front office would just look at that and be like, "Oh, we're getting two players, and they're getting one. We're going to win this trade." Yeah, that's the way their front office works yeah. in my yeah. mind. So I wouldn't be surprised if they somehow sneak out with a deal. Yeah, um, that, that brings a good, you know, fifth or sixth man to that team for the exchange of Kyle Kuzma and Danny Green. Yeah, God, props to LeBron. I mean, as much as we hate to say it, he's really engineered a perfect situation for himself. Gets this little Mickey Mouse title, um, the, the plastic Mickey Mouse ring. <laughs> yeah, his his third and a half title. We like to call it on. Got to take this. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, he's just in perfect position to really keep competing until he just decides he doesn't want to play anymore. I mean, so yeah. Huge, huge props to him, as much as I hate to say it. Again, I really hate to say it. Props to LeBron. Well, while we still got some time, let's pivot to another Western Conference team that saw a big move this past week. Daryl Morey stepping down as as GM of the Houston Rockets. Uh, A weird tenure for him. They've had a lot of pieces, but never any substantial playoff success. Of course, currently they're working with James Harden and Russell Westbrook, and he can be credited for bringing both of those guys into the program. Um, but but what are your thoughts on this? He was not fired. He stepped out on his own. Yeah. He took out a whole ad in the Houston newspaper thanking everyone and thanking James Harden, of course. Where do you think this leaves them? Do you think this is a move to, to retain James Harden and keep him from, from wanting out? 
where do you where do you see this move? I think this. I don't think it's the end of Mori Ball. You know, the whole you know, just shoot threes, layups, and free throws. Yeah, yeah small ball. Um, but I do think it's the end of the Rockets really trying to contend for an NBA title. Um, I think that you know Westbrook's contract is a huge albatross that's going to be around their necks for the next I think three seasons. Him at a max deal, which in his third year will be like fifty million. It's something crazy what these guys are making in the next three years. Um, I think that potentially James Harden could be asking out, if not this season, next season. Um, I mean, James Harden gets you like 45, 50 wins automatically. He can go to any team and have them make the playoffs. 100%. Yeah, but so he's incredibly valuable. Um, and I just don't know how much patience he's going to have left. You know, if even if they just continue on this trajectory, but the fact that Maury's gone, who is one of the best executives in the league, I just don't think they're going to be maxing out their potential anymore. There's also a lot of issues with ownership refusing to go in the luxury tax. Yeah. Where other contending teams have like the owners have been like, okay, we're going for it, and they've won titles, and Houston just flat out refused to do that. So the issues come from higher than Maury, I think, in Houston. Um, but I do think this is kind of the end of an era, and I think that Harden's days are probably numbered. Um, if him, if I'm him, I just think I have low patience for no. any sort of rebuild. And, and I agree with you on that. I think Harden's days are numbered regardless of what happened with Maury. I think that's been decided um, really since it, the the Rocket season ended. In Disney World, I think Jay, if you're looking at James Harden, he is a you know once in a generation player in terms of his raw scoring ability. Like you said, he could add 40, 50 wins to a team. You fired up the trade machine earlier this week and was trying to get him onto that Celtics roster, no yeah. matter what it took. Yep. Um, even if it meant unloading a farm of draft picks. I don't um, care. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever it takes. But if I'm him, you know, where's my ring? I was a part of one of the greatest trios to never be in OKC with Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and himself that never was able to do anything. Serge Ibaka, too, who's you know, yeah. still a great NBA player. And now you go to Houston. You've played with Chris Paul. you played with James, or Russell Westbrook. You've had uh, Clint Capella. You've had guys around you, and you've never had any sort of success. If I'm him, I'm frustrated. I want a ring. I want some sort of thing to hang my legacy on. Mm-hmm. And Houston just obviously isn't the place for him. They aren't, they've shown that they aren't willing to break the bank for him. They aren't willing to put really big pieces around him. Playing small ball, if I'm him, that's just a slap to the face. Yeah. You know, that's just showing that you aren't willing to build around me and you aren't willing to give me the assets I need to win a title or make a run. And especially looking around here, you know, you've got Jamal Murray, who is a rising star, along with Jokic with the Nuggets. You know, they're they're slowly building up. You've got Dame Lillard, who's always going to be solid with Portland. Mm-hmm. You've got both LA teams stocking up with major duos and the potential to add on to those with their GMs and their assets. If I'm him, I'm looking and I'm basically stranded on an island here. I'm not going to be able to get out of the West with the way things are, and especially with the way the team is right now. I think he has to get out, especially the move, honestly, might be to go to the East for him. If he really wants you know, a, an easier way to, uh, to the title, might as well go to the East and join one of the top teams there. I definitely I agree. If I'm James Harden, I think the only place to be is Boston. Um, and I would demand a trade only to Boston. Only to Boston. Nowhere else. Nowhere else. Please do not go to Miami. <laughs> no. <laughs> just, just kidding. Not really. Um, but I, yeah. Again, like Philadelphia. He, I could see Philadelphia making. Oh uh, God, that would be brutal. It'd be Don't brutal even, for him. Yeah. I, you know. Yeah. Um, they give him money for sure, but I don't know if that'd be the best place for him. But I, I feel like if you're James Harden, you've been so good. You've had so many MVP caliber seasons. You can only do so much before you want 
you know, the, the grass is, there's, the grass is always going to be greener on the other side. Yeah. Um, it's like, you know, that meme of Squidward looking out of his house, <laughs> Patrick and SpongeBob are running around. That's yeah. James Harden every season. He's yeah. locked in this kind of prison with the Rockets. He's not going to get anywhere. And he just sit there and watch LeBron and Kawhi and Paul George and, you know, uh, Jamal Murray run around all happy with their, you know, very successful seasons. If I'm him, I want out of that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm okay. if I'm James Harden, I'm fine with losing if the organization goes all in on me, which Houston's mm-hmm. not willing to do. Like they were winning with these kind of gimmick rosters and you know yeah. shoot more threes. Um, you know, they were so close in Game Seven of and Game Six of the 2018 Western Conference Finals to beat the Warriors. Really, the only team that has had that ever had that Golden State team with Durant on the ropes, and they really had them on the ropes. Yeah. Of course, they famously missed, you know, 27 three-pointers in a row for a team that only shoots three-pointers. That's yeah. impossible to win. So if I'm Harden, I just want to go to a place where they're going to invest in me, like you said, mm-hmm. build a team around me and say, we're winning now. We're not going to run some gimmick system to try and, you know, change basketball and see if we win. I'm saying, let's win now and build the best team around me. Let's and, do it. And also with the time he's been in the league, I wouldn't want to sit through another head coach rebuild and another GM rebuild. Yeah, no way. Those two moves, especially I, you don't want to, he's a win now guy. Yeah. He doesn't want to wait for another coach to implement a system and another GM to put more pieces around him. That's just too much time. He doesn't have that time left. You know, he wants to win now. Right. You know, so I think he's he's out of there for sure. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's move into segments. We got a brand new segment that we're going to lead things off with. And the, the title of it is pretty self-explanatory. I don't think we need to do much explaining here. It's, does Adam Gase have a job? Does he? Do, do we need to check this? As far as I know, the answer is yes, which is astounding. Wow. In what universe are you 0-5 with a terrible team, given the fact that guys that like, you know, the, the, the Falcons cleared house, and which is very surprising given the previous success they've had. Jets have no success. They have no, like, there is no, Adam Gase has nothing to hang his hat on like Dan Quinn did, yeah. and yet he still has a job. It is unfathomable. It makes no sense. Yep. I don't understand it. Unless, here's the thing, I, I this might be a, a too deep in the conspiracy wormhole here. Okay. I think they're purposely keeping Adam Gase so that they keep losing and they get Trevor Lawrence. Mm. They know that the best way to get Trevor Lawrence is keeping Adam Gase as head coach because they're just going to keep losing. Yeah. It's their way of tanking, but they're not obviously doing it. Yeah, they're trying to make it. It's a discreet tanking. That's a smart tanking. You just yeah. hire the worst head coach. Exactly. In Adam Gase is their. Think about that. Your yeah. worst chance, or their best chance of getting Trevor Lawrence is keeping your abysmal coach and then firing him in the office. Makes offseason. a lot of sense. Exactly. Yeah. That's and you've what got I'm two. Thinking. You've got two incredibly young quarterbacks. Yeah. Exactly. Trade one of them. Yeah. Exactly. I, 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 that might be it. I don't think you're wrong about that. <laughs> don't think you're wrong about that. Wait, this is an ongoing saga. We'll keep you all updated. It continues to blow my mind. Hopefully, a short there. saga. Hopefully, Hopefully, it's over by next week. I don't know if they want Trevor. If they want Trevor Lawrence hard enough, maybe they'll keep him around. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move into have some steroids. I'll let you lead this one off. Yeah, I've got my my uh, have some steroids perfect lead and goes to Trevor Lawrence. Um, you know, I think they won seventy three to seven three something like that. Um, but Trevor Lawrence himself said that, you know, he missed a couple throws and they probably left about 14 points on the board. Um, so I just think if he wants to turn around and really prove himself as a college football player and as an NFL prospect, he needs to try some steroids so he doesn't miss those throws. Because right now he's slipping on my draft board because he missed those two throws and he needs steroids to climb back up. What a loser, man. No, wow. Yeah. Just can't compete. Yeah. He's yeah. not gritty enough. Not yeah. gritty enough. What a disappointment, really. Yeah, Future sure. crew just disappointed. Man. All right, well, let's move into our third and final segment, which is a college basketball preview. We are officially 36 days away from college basketball. Guess who wore the number 36? Jerome Bettis. 
Guess where he went to college? Notre Dame. So we are previewing Notre Dame basketball for the 2020-2021 season today on Gotta Take This. Notre Dame right now, in terms of the ACC preseason power rankings, they are 11th out of 15 teams. Uh, They're kind of out of the top five. And of course, the ACC is always going to be a tough conference with Virginia, Duke, UNC, Louisville, Florida State having a strong team this year as well. And of course, some sleeper picks like Syracuse, Georgia Tech, and Clemson. So let's let's do a little preview here. Let's dive deep. What do you what are your thoughts on Nerd Because I know you've got your whole you've got a full sheet already ready from last season that you're going to use to to preview tonight. Yeah, yeah, I, I covered this team pretty deeply. Um, <laughs> definitely Amer- just, America's team. Definitely didn't just look at this before the show when we did the whole Jerome Bettis thing. Um, Notre Dame obviously has kind of had a tough few years. You know, they haven't made the NCAA tournament since 2017, and and they won the ACC a few years back. Yeah, which is crazy to think about how how far they've fallen since then. Yeah, I mean they're, they're normally considered, I think, one of the top teams in that conference, and you know, kind of a three four seed in the NCAA tournament, but had a, had a rough few years. Um, they lost John Mooney, who was probably their best player, first team first team All ACC guy. Um, but their biggest returning guy is Prentice Hub, who's going to be a junior this year. He averaged 12 points a game, led in assists last year. It really kind of started to take over like the team leadership, even as Mooney was still there last year. He was leading the team huddles. They were deferring to him at the end of games. Um, so this is really his year to assert himself and you know potentially be an all-ACC guy and come back for senior year, and maybe that's when they turn it around. Um, but again, they were still you know 20-12 uh, last year, won their first round in the ACC tournament before it obviously got canceled. Um, but I mean, I think they're turning it around. I think this was more of a slight hump and now they're kind of getting over it, but I don't think they're going to be in contention for this conference necessarily. What do you think? I think the key for, for every ACC team is having a big, one big win in conference play because ACC conference play is always a mess. It's always all over the place. And I think with the way things are trending right now, it looks like we will have non-conference for college basketball. We will have those little like early season tournaments, um, like the Maui Invitational and stuff like that. Um, so I think the goal for every ACC team that's outside of that top five is get your one signature win. Because North Carolina always has one or two games during conference play where they lose un- inexplicably to someone lower in the ACC. Duke yeah. does the same thing. Virginia had, It's happened to Virginia before. Certainly it's going to happen to Florida State and Louisville as well. So I think Notre Dame, you know, beat the little guys, beat Virginia Tech, beat Boston College, beat Pitt, beat Wake Forest. And if you can do that right, get your one win, your one signature win. That not only helps the tournament committee, but it helps get you a higher seed in the ACC tournament, which in turn gives you an easier chance to getting a higher seed in the NCAA tournament, You know, gets you in front of the committee. Um, I think that's the most important part for, for every ACC team because none of these teams are going to go undefeated through conference play, especially if COVID starts pausing practices and stuff like that. It could be sloppy like college football. Um, so that's, you know, get that one big win. And, and use that to boost you for the rest of the season. Um, you know, Duke, one team always falls. I've, you know, having watched the ACC my entire life, every top team always has one or two losses that you just can't explain. It's always an upset. I don't know if home court advantage is going to be a thing this year. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe if we get a Christmas yeah. miracle, things might might turn around. Um, but it, it's going to be important for them to, to get it, beat one of those top blue chip teams for sure. Absolutely. I think the middle of this conference, like you said, it could be a mess. And I think that Notre Dame, especially if some of these younger guys come into their own and make it yeah. make it their team and build on this, you know, 20, 21, 21 team last year, um, I think they could end up at that, you know, seven, six, maybe five spot. Um, but yeah, I think I think they're solidly in the middle and they're just lower, you know, in these preseason power rankings just because they didn't 
really been on a downtick recently. And, and but, you also have to assume that some of these schools are going to have kids that opt out. And mm. if the season ends up getting consolidated, COVID could throw a wrench through this entire thing. Nothing is guaranteed. Nothing is expected here. Guys will opt out. Seasons will get shortened. I'm sure non-conference is going to fluctuate. Games will get canceled. There's so much that can change here, and it's going to be all about rhythm and who's ready you know, week in and week out. And if the Notre Dame has that mentality, if they play the underdog thing pretty heavily, they might be able to sneak by North Carolina or sneak by Duke or get by UVA. God forbid, you know, (laughs) they could have a couple sneaky wins in there because if college football is any indication, college basketball is going to be a mess. Absolutely. Yeah, it'll it'll be fun to watch. I'm excited to even start talking about college basketball. Exactly. It's really exciting. It's going to be very exciting. (laughs) Well, with, with the time we got left, let's move into our quick music segment. Kanye West has a new song called Na Na Na. It's a weird type of song. I think it's supposed to be his presidential campaign theme song. It was yeah. first released on Twitter with an MMA video as the, the visual for it. Totally all over the place, but it's Kanye. What do you expect? Um, it officially released on Apple Music and Spotify and all that earlier this week. We just listened to it before the show. Um, he might get some features on there. I'm sure he'll remix it. I don't even know if it's going to be on an album or if it's just an independent release for the sake of the political campaign, which... All things considered, could honestly just be one big long album promotion. Knowing what he does to promote his albums, yeah, um, that man has mastered the art of of getting the public eye and then releasing music. Um, but but the song is not his best work. I'm gonna go ahead and say that um, the beat's good. He does a great job producing it as always. But it, it feels rushed. I'm sure it was. I'm sure he just wanted to get something out yeah. and actually follow through on one of his promises of releasing music. What, what do you think about it? Uh, I mean, when I first heard it and like on Twitter with that, you know, the kind of MMA kickboxing yeah. knockout, just weird playing on loop. Yeah. I was like, all right, like this is a little exciting. I'm kind of feeling amped, I guess. I know it was meant for him to like amp up people in his mm-hmm. campaign, I think. Um, but yeah, it's not really super re-listenable. And again, we're huge Kanye fans. Kind of, you know, listen closely to anything that he puts out yeah. because we always give him the benefit of the doubt musically, of course. Um, That's the be- beauty of his music is there's such high replay value and this doesn't really hit the mark on that. Yeah, it's kind of a fun... I feel like it'll end up being kind of a deep cut of his. I don't think it's going to be a hit. It's yeah. not going to jump up to the top of the charts. Yeah. But it, it'll be fun to play, you know, in a year or two and be like, oh yeah, I remember that. that was, yeah. It's kind of fun. Exactly. Um, kind of captures the moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I was... I think I was most disappointed that in the videos that he put on Instagram and Twitter with it, he has a line, um, like, what is it? And don't jump Anakin. I have the higher ground. Yeah. Of course, from revenge of the Sith and star Wars in the videos he put out, he included the clip of Obi-Wan saying that to Anakin. And it was so cool. It was sick. So I was very disappointed. That wasn't in the regular song on streaming platforms. Um, but, you know, still a fun line. Love Star Wars shoutouts. I, I certainly hope that Kanye knows, though, that his fans, when we get an inch, we take a mile, and that him releasing this means that people are going to be relentless in asking for an album. Yeah. You know, he has teased so many albums that he hasn't. There's, you know, the second Jesus King, produced by Dr. Dre. There's the Donda album that didn't come out. So that's two. That's a swing and a miss on two. Um, Yandi and Yandi. That's don't get me started on that. The Turbo Graphics sixteen. <laughs> Yandi is back. arguably the greatest album to ever be released. <laughs> um, and of course, it all got leaked. Anyways, 
but I hope Kanye is ready for people to just start hammering. Uh, the, the, the demand is about to skyrocket yeah. once he releases music. I'm fine if he just keeps putting out one-off songs. I yeah. mean, I just it's fun. I I yeah. like new Kanye stuff. I, and it's another clean song. It's, yeah, it, it's unbelievable. Yeah, that he keeps doing that, so we can play it, right? <laughs> exactly. Okay, so, yeah. so yeah, that that leads us into our outro song. We're out of time here on today's episode. Got to take this. We're gonna lead out here with Na Na Na. It's already starting to fade in. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Effects are beautiful. But thank you so much for tuning in. This has been Gotta Take This on WR Lexington. As always, a little plug for our podcast. Check us out, anchor.fm slash gotta take this. We're on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts. Um, and we will be back next week, Wednesday, here at 1 o'clock on WR Lexington. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you all next time. Feeling cold, I don't need a strike back. I let God fight my battles. Next time you text, can it wait? You were talking to a presidential candidate. I know you think all people are getting tired now. Don't jump, Anakin, I got the higher ground. I'ma hit the moon, walk like I seen Tito. Man, if